Howdy folks, today it's all about shooting wildlife in the wild, right after this. Welcome to Camera Shake, where we bring you the insider scoop on all things photography and videography, giving you a unique opportunity to stay ahead of the curve. We've spent literally hundreds of hours interviewing some of the most renowned photographers of our time, giving you access to knowledge and expertise that's not available anywhere else. As always, I'm your host, Kirsten Nuts, and if you enjoy this content, consider lending your support on buymeacoffee.com forward slash camera shake to help us create more exciting episodes for you. Your support really does make a difference. But without further ado, let's give it up for today's special guest, a familiar face on the show, the travel, wildlife, and Northern Lights expert, Dave Williams. Dave, man, how's it going? Good, thank you. How are you? I am good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> After we finally, we've, we've uh, solved our little no, slight technical works. problems. This, it's not a podcast without a few technical itches. I don't think oh, I've this ever is... been on one where I've just connected and gone. So, yeah, this is fine. Yeah, this is this is nothing. The last um, the last live thing that I did uh, was was a complete disaster, technically speaking. It was actually cool, you know, um, but uh, yeah, it was hard going. It, it had something to do with servers and you know internet connectivity that was beyond anybody's control, really. But mm -hmm. uh, but wowzers, man, that was hard work. Yeah, I bet. Well, here we are across. Uh... How far away are we? Hmm. If you were to drive here, 6,000 odd kilometers, I believe. So we're doing wow. pretty well considering the distance. Yeah. I mean, you know, all things considered, this is, this is pretty amazing. And of course, uh, well, we'll be in the same room in, well, just a few days time. Yeah. Yeah. What day is it? Five days. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you are an avid listener of the Camera Tech podcast, you know, keep your eyes peeled because uh, next week, I'm not sure, actually, I'm going to say this now, um, most likely there won't be a full episode next week, which is quite odd because there's usually always an episode, but next week, I don't think that's going to happen. But what we are going to be doing is uh, we're going to do a live broadcast from the Lofoten Islands next week. So that is going to happen. So you can always, you know, if you are listening on the audio uh, version of this podcast, then you can head over to YouTube um, and check out the live broadcast there. Um, that's going to happen at some point next week. I'm going to announce it on social media and you know, when exactly it's, it's going to happen. But uh, there will be something happening next week, that's for sure. Um, but I'll be filming bits and bobs and we'll be preparing another episode for the week after. So, you know, it's a working holiday is what I call it. How exciting. It's going to be cool. Yeah. It'll be amazing. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But um, I thought what we... What we're going to focus on today is actually wildlife photography, because you, as some of our um, some of our listeners will know, you are now a permanent resident in the Lofoten Islands, and that brings with it the opportunity to shoot shoot in terms of photograph um, yeah. a whole lot of really interesting wildlife out in the yeah. you know in the Arctic. So tell us a little yeah. bit about. Your use of recent uh, adventures and discoveries. Adventures and discoveries? That sounds cool. Um, the, the, uh, the Northern Lights thing is, is obviously a big deal here. So there's Northern Lights every night, and that's the priority for me. Um, it's my passion. But during the day, obviously, there's so many amazing landscapes out there. Um, 
and there's a lot of wildlife. But the wildlife around here is kind of kind of unique because there aren't really many big things. There's loads of little things. There's one big thing that stands out, which is the king of the forest, um, the Norwegian moose. And at the moment, they are they've just shed the velvet on their antlers. And they're all starting to get a bit frisky, chasing the girls around. Um, so it's an interesting time at the moment, seeing what they're up to out there. But yeah, it's the, the moose is the main subject. What is the difference between an elk and a moose? An elk? Okay, so the confusion comes because the Norwegian and Swedish word for moose is elg, E-L-G. And so that isn't too far from elk, but an elk is a North American deer. So it's like a slightly bigger version of a red stag, but or a red deer, but with gray hair, a bit of a thicker, um, thicker fur on the neck, and yeah, so it's a it's a different animal. It, it, they're all within like moose and deer are all in the deer family so a reindeer obviously the moose is the biggest deer but an elk is not an elk an elk is a moose and it's just one thing i've noticed obviously you know having having been learning swedish for the last 107 days or something 108 days um yes as, as you say the the word the swedish word for for moose is elia which um mm. Sounds very similar to elk, hence the confusion. But I think um, elk and moose are easily distinguishable by the different antlers. Um, and well, yeah, they they complete they're completely different. Yeah, and there are no elks in the Lofoten Islands. I don't know if there's even any in Scandinavia. Elk is a North American animal. Do you? Um, so I don't think there's any here. I know you've been. I know you've been hunting moose. I've been hunting again with the camera, you know, and not with the gun, um, over the last mm. few weeks. Um, and I've I found it very interesting, you know, just following following you on social media um, and you know seeing your little adventures. Um, how difficult is it to photograph a moose in the wild? Are they commonplace? This, do you need to track them down? It depends, and that's the worst. The worst answer for anything in photography is it depends. But the answer is it depends. Um, there there are groups of them that tend to stick to certain areas so we know we know where some of the moose are roughly um they tend not to move very far but they can suddenly decide to just relocate move house go to a different area um at the moment it hasn't really happened a lot um so we know where they are now we know where they've been for the summer in their specific groups in specific areas and they're now sort of tracking towards their winter areas so the mountains become out of bounds the mountains will become covered in snow so there's no food up there so they'll be in valleys places where they can stay a little bit warm and still access food but the food changes from berries and flowers and all this delicious stuff it changes to just tree bark and seaweed because of, of the snow and the cold. So yeah, when we when we figure out where they are, um, it's all to do with 
like where have they been recently which area does each individual or each family cover and then we've got a good chance of finding them because we know we we watch them every day we know where they sort of habitually go i mean obviously the lofoden islands being a sort of a string of islands um i'm, yeah. I'm guessing they're not moving between the islands they're just going to be yeah, yeah they're there in one area are they they are Moose, moose are very, very good swimmers. That's, that's How did they get silly. here? How did they get here in the first place? They swam here. That's yeah. That's I find it quite fascinating. I don't think I've ever seen a moose swim. I've got a picture of a moose swimming. They're really good swimmers. They can dive up to about seven meters to get seaweed from the bottom. In uh, some places in Canada, a moose is a delicacy for a killer whale no oh, wow mm. that's incredible yeah they're really 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 strong swimmers so how do you approach um a shoot like when you go out to um to shoot moose how do you approach that what sort of equipment would you take with you ordinarily um the bigger the better usually but sometimes they can be so close that you want to like an 2470 or an 85 prime or something um generally they're going to be quite far away and although we have a good relationship with some of the moose around here in that they recognize our smell and our voice the few of us that do this regularly um they're not always going to be receptive they're not always going to be happy so yeah the general rule is you don't go within 10 meters if the moose looks at you in the right way and the body language is good then you know if they come to you that's fine and and we've been within meters like two meters of a moose but if their body language is if their body language changes if their ears go back if their feet come up if they start making noises and staring at you that's not a good sign and that means get out of there so yeah we need to be very respectful of their wishes and understand that even though they know us some of them they are wild and getting the, the the right lens to get the job done is crucial so i think my main one is probably the 200 400 f4 um i've got a 120 to 300 f28 i've got a 60 to 600 for the D500, so it's a, a DX lens, not a full frame. But yeah, then there's the 2470, because you can just suddenly turn a corner and there's a moose, like, right there in your face. So. That's probably the longest lens I've got. It's a 70 to 200, I guess. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so the, the, the 60 to 600 crop works out at just shy of 900. And then there's a 1.4 teleconverter as well. So we can become nearly 1200 mil, I guess, if I needed to. <laughs> so do you, do you lay in wait? Like do you, or do you literally track them down? Yeah, no, I look for them. Um, some animals, you need to wait for them. Foxes, otters, ferrets, things like that. Uh, with the moose, you can go look for a moose. <clears throat> if, like they're so big that they're not going to. It's rare that they're going to suddenly appear. 
you need to go and find them and then let them get used to you for a few minutes you know understand your presence understand that you're not like there to hurt them you're no threat so they relax and carry on doing whatever they were doing probably eating and then yeah get in there and get some pictures but by their very nature they're not necessarily dangerous animals they're just huge yeah they yeah they're dangerous in that if you annoy them they will attack you and they will win <laughs> they they can be two meters tall and they can weigh 700 and something 750 kilos for a big male female about 600 kilos so if if they want to come at you they're going to use their front feet to go down like that at you with that weight behind it it you're not going to stand a chance <laughs> i think we, we've spoken about this i had a you know a, a strange encounter of the moose kind in canada um a few years ago mm -hmm. uh, and that was uh, that was very very impressive it really makes you appreciate the sheer size and weight of these animals. Because um, mm -hmm. most, you know, just I'll tell the story really quickly. Uh, my wife and I uh, were on our honeymoon, and we walked down a trail that was actually closed, and we were really supposed to be there, but it looked really interesting. So we thought, you know, we'll give it a shot. Um, and then, really out of nowhere, we could hear loads of noise coming mm. from the thicket. Um, mm. You know branches breaking, footsteps, that sort of thing. Um, and it very quickly became clear that something was moving through the forest that was rather large. And then the next thing we knew was uh, this moose basically stepped out onto the trail and stopped and his head turned and he looked at us. And at that moment, I mean, we both just froze, you know, mm. completely froze. And I, I remember what was going through my mind. I thought like, I forgot my bear spray, dang. Um, and the only thing I had, gonna... <laughs> yeah, why would? It? But I thought, you know, I thought like, well, okay, I'm, I'm unarmed. I don't have any bear spray. I have a camera in my hand, and for some reason, I thought if this thing comes at me, I'm just going to flash it, <laughs> as if that would make any difference. But uh, but luckily, you know, it just looked at us for you know a good few seconds, um, mm -hmm. and then it just turned its heads and walked straight across the path straight across the trail, back into the forest, yeah. and it was gone. Yeah. You know, and it was uh, it was just the most amazing experience because the thing was, I mean, it was really, as, it was the size of a VW camper van. I mean, it was huge. Mm -hmm. the, the difference between Canadian or North American moose <laughs> and European moose is that the European, <clears throat> excuse me, the European moose tend not really to have many predators. And so they're far more relaxed. Whereas the North American moose, because they have predators, they're a bit on edge all the time. Is that a bear or a wolf? Is it going to hurt me? Whatever. And so because of that, they're a bit more defensive and they get a reputation that they're a scary animal because they're defensive. So that's like the big difference between those two anatomically there's nothing really much in it they're they're not identical but they're almost the same um but yeah i mean if if you're in norway or sweden a moose is not a threat as long as you're respectful watch its body language don't annoy it yeah 
don't get too close. Talking about predators, you know what I've read recently, um, which really made me laugh. You know, um, you know, cats in North America have natural a lot more um, natural predators than they have in Europe, right? Because obviously, yeah. you know, we in Europe Coyotes for those American. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, for, you know, for those uh, American listeners, you know, in Europe, it's, it's commonplace to let cats roam around outside. I mean, this, you hardly ever hear of a cat that's like an indoors cat. But occasionally, maybe if somebody lives in a tower block or apartment, it's like an apartment block or something like that. But generally speaking, cats are out and about all the time. My, my old cat included. Um, because they don't really have any natural predators here, you know. Um, in North America, it's somewhat different. But did, did you know, do you know what the 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 most common uh, cause of death is for a cat in terms of predators in North America. Like which which animal do you think is is the most prolific? Probably it's either people or coyotes. Well, people often think it's coyotes, uh, but it's not. Mm. Surprisingly, it's an owl. Yeah. So the equivalent. Um, of the owl? biggest, the biggest type of owl in North America, which is actually related to the European owl, but it's about twice the size. And so, a lot of the time, when cats go missing, they literally just disappear. You know, as opposed to like you know, when they run over by a car, you'll find them occasionally. Um, but they just disappear. That's basically because they, you know, they're being grabbed or picked up by owls, and that's that's the end of it. You never see them again. Mm. Little known fact. Interesting. Hmm. Oh, yeah. There's there's owls here. As you brought it up, <laughs> there's, um, there's there's a northern hawk owl that is starting to appear now. They spend the winter here, so they're starting to appear now, looking for their trees that they're going to live in. Um, so they'll fly around, find a tree, see how much food there is. If there's enough food, they'll stay there. If there's not, they'll find a different area, a different tree. At the moment, they're selecting their trees for the winter, which is cool. It's a black and white owl, quite small northern hawk owl. But then we also have the long-eared owl and the short-eared owl, which is the hawk owl and something else owl. So yeah, there's owls here as well. There's a lot of wildlife here, as you said at the beginning. Talking about birds, yeah. One thing I heard recently: Did you know that before crowbars were invented, crows used to ordinarily drink at home? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. Back to the serious business of wildlife photography. Um, okay, so actually, just purely personal interest. Um, so I recently had some, uh, some of my family members went to um, Austria uh, to um, for a holiday in, in the Alps, and they, um, they came across a whole lot of marmots, which I find really fascinating animals. And I think, mm -hmm. I've read somewhere, that you find marmots in, you know, in, in Norway as well. Have you ever seen any? Not here. I think they're further south. Um, there are otters, ferrets, weasels, but no marmots. Not here. I, I think the nearest ones might be in sort of Kiruna, Abisko area in Sweden, which is not far away. Um, and the other thing that lives there that's kind of similar, I guess, is the wolverine. Okay. So I wonder if the wolverine maybe eats the marmot. Don't know. But no, I don't, I don't think there are any here. There certainly haven't been any pictures or anything discussed that I've seen about them. 
so what they're cool you... animal though they're very cool <laughs> animals yeah um yeah interestingly related to the ordinary squirrel apparently yeah yeah so so yeah it's just they're all the most interesting animal i don't know if it falls into that family or whether it's a marsupial but the the coolest thing that looks like that is a quokka have you seen a quokka i haven't though i don't even know what it is okay so a quokka is like a tiny it's like an oversized guinea pig Is that yeah? That's a good description. It's like an oversized guinea pig. It lives on um, in Western Australia, specifically on an island off the coast near Perth, and it has no natural predators. And so you can get really close to them, and they're completely chill around you, and they they smile. Google the Google the quokka. We'll move, we'll change subject, but when you have a minute, Google the quokka. Q-U-O-K-K-A. Hey, let me just jump in real quick to tell you about the amazing sponsor of this episode, Platypod. Platypod offers innovative camera support systems designed to unleash your creativity. With their stable, versatile, and portable solutions, you can capture stunning shots like never before. And I'm not just saying that. As the host of the Camera Shake podcast, I can personally vouch for Platypod's incredible products. They've become an integral part of the show. In fact, I'm surrounded by various platypus products holding up lights, cameras, microphones, and so on. It's really helped to transform the way I make the show and the way I shoot at home, in the studio, and on location. But don't just take my word for it. Explore Platypod's website at www.platypod.com to discover their range of products, including the Platypod Extreme, Platyball Tripod Heads, and the brand new handle, of course. Make sure to follow Platypod on Instagram and Facebook at Platypod Tripods for exclusive updates, tips, and giveaways. By choosing Platypod, you're not only investing in your photography, but you're also supporting the Camera Shake Photography Podcast. Thanks again to Platypod, our amazing sponsor. Platypod, where innovation never sleeps. Um, so what other animals do you, do you typically find? Because, you know, again, for those of you who are, for the uninitiated, um, the Lofoten Islands are approximately, and here's where I get myself confused. 200 kilometers or 200 miles north of the Arctic Circle? Kilometers. Kilometers. Okay. So uh, so we're talking about, give or take, 100 miles plus minus um, north of the Arctic Circle. Hey, 106. So hang on a minute. 200 kilometers is 125 miles. Right. So what, what other wildlife do you typically find in that sort of area? Um, down the road, there's reindeer. There's no reindeer here in the Lofoten Islands, but literally as soon as you as soon as you cross the bridge that takes you off the off the archipelago, there's reindeer. There's roe deer here, which have moved in last year. They've been seen again. So hopefully they'll be moving in. And interestingly, about how far? About an hour and a half to two hours east of here, last week, there was a reported bear sighting brown bear so that's cool if they come here that would be amazing a little bit further away than that there are wolves so if they come here that would be amazing um and then in the sea there are humpback whales fin whales sperm whales killer whales or orca lots of shark and fish species the cod obviously the arctic spray this is a very, very rich area for wildlife because the the Gulf Stream flows in 
So the, the warm water from the Gulf of Mexico crosses the North Atlantic and it lands here, which is why it's quite temperate in the winter. So it will it will get to, at the worst, it will get to minus 25, but not for long, if there's really bad weather. But it will average between zero and minus 15. And, and that's degrees centigrade or Celsius. Don't know what it is in Fahrenheit for the minuses. Thirty-two is minus, so it'll be you know, it'll be between thirty-two Fahrenheit and roughly about zero Fahrenheit, I think, for minus fifteen. And that warm water enriches the sea, so there's fantastic sea life. It gives us a good climate here, but then obviously that has a knock-on effect on the weather, which affects the land. So the the mountains and the land around here are really rich as well. Loads of nutrients, which gives us a fantastic wildlife. And like the soil's really good for growing food. And everything around here is awesome. Whereas if you just go two hours inland, it will suddenly become minus 30, minus 35. Nothing grows. All the trees are frozen, which is fantastic for photography. It's really difficult to live there, though. So, the yeah, the Lofoten Islands, and then all the way up, like, Senia, all the way up the coast of the fjords of northern Norway. Fantastic climate um, and fantastic fauna and flora as well. You find it in Central Europe as well, actually. Um, you know, the further you move away from the coast, the more continental the climate becomes and the more extreme yeah. the temperatures become. Like, for example, in the south of Germany, where I grew up, um, that's about, that's a good 800 kilometers from the nearest coast, you know, again, sort of give or yeah. take. Um, yeah. And the, te- the I mean, the weather there is, the climate there is completely different from the the climate in the UK, for example, where it's more of an island-based climate. You know, mm-hmm. it's extreme, extreme cold in the winter, um, much hotter in the summer. And these sort of in-between seasons, your know, spring and, and fall or autumn, are not as pronounced. They're really quite short in comparison. You know, mm. in the UK, autumn seems to drag on absolutely flipping forever, you know, before. And then you have a winter, which is very moderate, and then spring goes on and it never seems to end because normally, the last couple of years being an exception maybe, uh, but summer really never really comes and then we're back in autumn. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I've, I've missed it because the weather here has been... We've had... I don't know how to describe it. So you know the Sahara, the fan wind that comes from the Sahara and heads north. That's that's happened, and that is why you had sand on your car last week. Yeah, and why it's been so hot there. But here, all we've had is the result of that has just been clouds. <clears throat> but it means that you've had a delayed summer. It's mid-September, and you were you had summer last week. Was, yes, 30-something degrees, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy, yeah. Whereas here, I think the hottest I had it here was about 17 or 18, but it's just been cloudy because we've had a northerly wind that that, that Sahara wind has been clashing with, and it just condensed and made cloud everywhere, which has been annoying because the northern lights were pretty good. But now the skies are opening up, so that's cool. I've been filming Platypod's um, latest video um yeah, throughout the heat wave, and you can really see it. I mean, I was, it was sweltering, and it was incredible. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and you have to close all the windows to keep the noise out, so that yeah. keeps the heat in as well. 
Nice. Yeah, it's like I was, I was baking myself. <laughs> That's not funny. Mm-hmm. Boston. So, um, what sort of impact do you think does that have on the wildlife out in the Lofoten Islands uh, with with all sort of you know weather um, variations? Um, having the warmer weather allows more species to be happy, and it gives them more food. So otters, for example, because the seas here don't freeze because of the Gulf Stream, the otters survive. If the seas were to freeze, they would either have to move and find a new home or they would just not survive it. Um, it has a massive impact like on everything, including people. People are happier here because it's cold. Winter's properly winter. But it's not minus thirty-five every day, like it is in, you know, Finnish Lapland. Or if you're like, I don't know, Stunturin, uh Lompolo, uh, somewhere like that in Finland, or Levi, or somewhere, somewhere like in the middle of Lapland, in the middle of the mass of land, then your daily life is a struggle. You you can't turn your car on without spending half an hour warming it up first, and. You know, if you start work at 7 a.m., that's a, that's a difficult thing to do every day for the winter. So, yeah, it has a big impact, not only on the wildlife, but on everything around here. It, it's it's a winter wonderland, but less inconvenient. <laughs> you know, the thing that comes to my mind, we were talking about, you know, technical or technology problems, like getting cars started, for example, you know, in, in, in those kind of climates. And I know this from Canada, of course, you know, uh, where it's the same people have the same issues uh, what impact yeah. does that have on your like camera equipment though like being in extreme weather like that extreme cold what sort of impact does that have? yeah it's hard so anything anything that uses a lithium-ion battery is going to have a problem because these things don't like the cold um, they can't hold their charge in the cold and they can't recharge in the cold so these things are a, an issue. Um, you need to keep them warm. And whatever tactic you use to keep them warm, as long as you keep them warm, that sort of solves the issue. So you can put them in your pocket, close to your body, or you can you know, put hand warmers on them. There's so many tricks and techniques to do it. The, the main thing is just keeping them away from the cold. The next thing is things like tripods. Or the, so here's the platypod handle. It's made of aluminium or aluminum. If you touch that at minus 30 with your bare hands, your hand is not coming off. <laughs> so gloves. So gloves are an issue. I found a perfect... I don't have one here to show. Uh, they're in my other room. Um, a glove for photographers with a flap on your finger that opens up. So your fingertip and your thumb can come out and press buttons, touch touch screens... But then you fold the flap back over and you've got a really good, really well-insulated glove. They're designed specifically for photographers. They're called Valorette. Um, I'm going to send you a link to put in the comments for the video or in the description. They're amazing. And they solve that issue because you you can do all the things that you need your fingers for without taking your glove off. You just get your finger out. So that's cool. But then, so batteries, anything metal lenses all lenses they're so 
Right. So the front of the lens and the back of the lens. When, excuse me, when the back of the lens is inside the camera, if there's any moisture incursion and the back fogs up, you've got an issue. So every time you take your lens off the camera, when it's cold, especially when it's cold and humid, you need to completely dry it, wipe it, clean it, or basically just avoid taking the back off or taking it off the camera. With the front end, every time you go outside in moist, cold air, you'll get a little frost on there. And then you'll go inside, like into a warm car, into a warm building, and you see your body, that is warming you up, you feel better, but your lens is then defrosting. And then you go back outside, and that's now wet, <laughs> and then freezes again. And so you get fog and ice and all kinds of problems with the lens easiest way to solve that <clears throat> is to think about insulation <clears throat> i've got a frog in my throat today i'm sorry i keep coughing and clearing my throat so when you go outside with your camera into the cold if you can leave it there if, you, if you're planning on continuing to use your camera once it's cold keep it cold that is kind of counterintuitive from the battery perspective, but you can change the battery and take the battery out. If the camera's cold, let the camera be cold. Um, that will protect the lens. Once you get seriously cold, where sort of outside the operating range of your camera, so anything below about minus 25, that's going to start causing the electronics in your camera to mess up and malfunction. So from that point, then you don't let your camera stay cold. That makes sense? So like around around freezing, around 0C or 32F, down to about minus 15, that's like the safe range to leave the camera in the cold. Like, let's say you're going on, let's say you're going on vacation to Lapland and you go on a husky safari, right? And you're outside with the dogs for an hour and you're taking pictures. And then they say, do you want to come in the hut and have a hot chocolate? Leave the camera outside. Because that sudden temperature change to the hot, where the hot chocolate is and where there's probably a fire and warm air, that's going to do more bad than good. And when you go in, your camera will mist up. When you go back out, it will mist up again. And it that condensation and frosting and thawing process is what damages the camera. So then when you're done at the end of the day, so if you've been out shooting Northern lights or if you're, you know, you've been on, you've been to see the reindeer, whatever you've done in the cold, um, you want to, you don't want to suddenly make the camera warm by just taking it indoors. So if you get into a car, put it in the back, your heat vents are in the front. So put the camera in the back, like in the boot, the trunk, whatever, in the back. Secondly, put it in the camera bag in the back because your camera bag is insulated. Every camera bag is insulated, whether it's like designed insulated or whether it's just a bag with a zip. It It's going to trap some of the air inside. Um, and that cold air will gradually warm up rather than having a sudden shock. So that will help to protect it. But yeah, ultimately, being in the cold with a camera 
you have to be careful and you have to think about everything that's happening because they just don't last very long here and they get that shock. Like I, I killed a camera in Iceland, not on purpose. I didn't murder it, but a, a camera of mine um, died because I, I went near a waterfall and water spray from the waterfall got on the camera. I dried it off and I thought it was fine. But then that night I went out shooting the Northern Lights and there was just a tiny bit of water still inside the camera. Inside. That got on the circuit boards and it froze. And then when I put it back in the car, it thawed. And then when I went out again, it froze again. And it, it obliterated the camera beyond economic repair. I sent it to Nikon. They said, beyond economic repair, here's a new one. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. So the cold is a... It is an issue. The colder it is, the more of an issue it is. Um, but there are lots of ways to deal with the cold. So what's your number one tip uh, for people to protect their camera gear in the cold? Those were the three the three best things. Like, take them all equally. Protect. <laughs> I th- I, can, I, can I throw a curveball answer back at you? Sure. If you want to... If you want to take good photos in the cold, it's more, is it more important? Mm. It's very important that you aren't cold. If you're cold to the point where your nose, your fingers, especially your pinky fingers, the back of your neck, your feet, if they're cold, you're not going to be focused on being creative. You're going to just want to warm up again. So you won't be able to stay outside in the cold to get amazing pictures of the northern lights, of the reindeer, of the frozen forests, of waterfalls, whatever. So the most important thing if you want to be creative with photography in the cold is to keep yourself warm. Look after yourself. If you are warm, you can endure being out in the cold for longer spending more time looking after your gear and getting better pictures without getting distracted by being cold. I think that's a perfect segue because the next thing I want to talk to you about is like how, how to keep yourself safe under those conditions. I mean, we talked about, you know, we talked about the equipment, but, you know, you get a, under those extreme, or in those extreme conditions, you need to keep yourself safe, first of all. Um, What's the what's your sort of uh, your best advice on on keeping cold, especially over you know a, a prolonged period of time? Mm. So everyone says layers, and they're the reason everyone says layers. It, it's layers are perfect. Every if you put on a big thick you know Canada Goose jacket, super dry jacket, a big thick jacket. That is not going to keep you as warm as wearing thin layers. Because just like a wetsuit in the water, if you have layers on, then you're trapping air between each layer of clothing and between that and your body and allowing your body heat to warm that up. Um, so layers is, is the best thing. The places where you lose the most heat are your face, your neck, your ears, your hands, your fingers, and your feet. If you wrap those up, wear good socks, good scarf, good hat, you know, a snood or a something, those Valorant photography gloves, they're really good. 
um, if you look after those parts of your body, you'll stay warmer for longer. But just like, you know, when you see like people run a marathon and they wrap them in a silver blanket, a space blanket afterwards, those are, all that's doing is, is the same thing. It's trapping a layer of air between your body and the blanket to keep you warm. They rely on the fact that you are warm to start with. That's how they work. If you're not, if you're, if you're wrapped in a space blanket, but you're cold, that's not going to warm up. So you need to be warm at the beginning. So making sure like when you're going out that you start warm from the car or from the house or from the hotel or whatever, it keeps that warm air trapped in between those layers for longer to help you out. When I say layers, I mean, go and buy base layers, um, proper base layers, and then like thermal trousers, thermal tops. So if it's really cold, I'll have a base layer and a t-shirt and then a jumper and then a jacket. So there's those four layers to work with. Um, I've got various gloves, but if I've only got my thin gloves, I'll put on a pair of, what are they called? Like under gloves? What are they called? Glove liners. <laughs> so I have a pair of thin gloves, like cotton gloves, and then the proper gloves on top. Um, sometimes I'll be rocking two pairs of socks. It depends. But you have to keep yourself warm, and layers is the way to do that. I've been known to double get, sock. Don't get wet. I've been known to double sock in the winter, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine you have. I've <laughs> upset. Now, yeah, I mean, it's just, that's, uh, you know, I'm not really that accustomed to the cold. I mean, you know, I grew up in the south of Germany, it does get cold, but um, mm, yeah. But I always think it's a different kind of cold. What strikes me in the UK very often is, you know, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't go far below zero, but below freezing here. Yeah. But it's always wet at the same yeah. time. It just makes everything feel. That's the thing. Yeah. If, if, you're in, if you're in the middle of Lapland where it's dry, you can sustain minus 30 because if there's no wind and, and there's no humidity, minus 30 just feels the same as zero. But if there's wind or if there's any humidity, any moisture in the air at all, that's going to make you really cold really quick. Um, and that's why here I can have it colder and not feel as cold as, as in like... The UK, for example, you can have like a few degrees above freezing in the UK and it feels so bad because of the wind and the humidity. So, yeah, you can you can relate that because if you know that it's not going to be windy or you know that it's not going to be humid, you can stay out in the cold for a lot longer. Was it, what's generally the best time um, to shoot wildlife um, out in the, you know, in northern... Norway or in the Lofoten Islands, um, in terms of times of time of year. So, okay. Um, each animal is completely different. So if I focus on here, you can relate it to different parts of the world, but I'll focus on what's going on here. So the moose are always here. The orcas out in the sea. So if we're looking at anything we want to take pictures of in the sea, we need to think about what it's going to eat and what the sea temperature is. So if it gets too hot or too cold for the specific animal, they're not going to stay here. Um, the 
food that they eat is herring. And so if the herring tracks north or tracks south, the orca's going to follow them and they're not going to be here anymore. When the herring comes back, the orca will be back. So we think about the food that an animal eats. The um, birds, lots of birds, not all birds, but lots of birds are migratory. So they're going to be here for seasons. So there are animals, there are birds that will be in Africa and then they'll fly here for the summer. So they'll winter in Africa, they'll be here in the summer so that they're keeping a similar temperature, I get, or not, it's not that similar, but you know, not too extreme. But then there are animals that come here for the winter from the north. So there are some animals in Svalbard, some birds in Svalbard that will come south away from the North Pole. And this is just far enough away for them that it's not too cold. So every animal is different. But then if you want to really think about when, when, if you know an animal is in a specific location, you want to think more about when they're going to be active. So that is basically eating when they're eating. That's all that all they do is eat and sleep. It's a good life. Um, the the first thing in the morning when they wake up, they need food and water. And this is pretty much every animal, every bird, everything will wake up and be hungry. So first thing in the morning and first light or around dawn, you're going to find a lot of animals. And then a lot of them will sort of take a nap around midday. And then early afternoon, they'll be starting to move about again. And then evening time, they need to eat before they go to bed. So those times of day, morning and evening, are fantastic for almost every animal because like, they need food. Anyway, a lot of it, as you like, even with the killer whales, like I mentioned, a lot of it is about food. Fantastic. So um, this, let's digress a little bit because um, there's a lot of stuff happening next week, of course, um, in the Fortnite. That's just one of the reasons why I'll, why I'll be joining you over there. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, we're we're going to be exploring the local wildlife, especially the reindeer, and hopefully we'll see a moose or two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the plan. But there's um, there's a whole lot of other stuff um, happening as well. So you give us a helicopter view of um, what is going on next week. So what well, the workshop is going to be awesome. This one is Viking themed. So we have a professional Viking. Well, in fact, this one we have two professional Vikings. Um, they're going to be accompanying us around and being models. So they're not going to be a Viking every day. We're going to have just regular models and we're going to get, I like, I already know the Vikings, but you guys, you and the attendees are going to get to know them. So they'll be more like friends by the end of it. Um, we're going to just take them, take their pictures in various places. We're going to learn about everything we need to know to shoot them. Like, how to pose, how to work with lighting, how to use um, ambient light, and how to compose a person within a landscape, how to compose them against a background. Um, and then we're going to look at the landscapes on their own, how to shoot a landscape, how to look in depth in a scene, color, lighting, times of day. We're going to look at Northern Lights, Northern Lights Masterclass, so that everyone knows exactly what they're looking at and how to how to forecast what might happen in the sky, but also terrestrial weather, because you need dark, clear skies, cloud-free skies. It's going to be, this workshop's going to be awesome. It's action-packed. Um, the people that 
that are joining us can take as much or little as they want from it. They can, you know, if they want to learn more about the Northern Lights than landscapes, then they can pay more attention and practice more. If they want to do more Vikings, you know, it's it's the same. It's going to be awesome. And we're lucky that we've got one of the best hotels around here with an awesome classroom. It's a perfect base camp called Svinoya Rorbord. And yeah, I can't wait, dude. This, this workshop's going to be awesome. And now that it's, it's like a new concept as well, having an extra element. So hopefully it works and paves the way for more amazing workshops like it in the future. It's definitely super exciting. It's been a long time in the planning and it's, it's going to happen next week. Um, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it'll be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and of course, you know, people can follow, uh, follow us on the camera shake, um, you know, Facebook group or um, on Instagram and so forth, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, we'll be, we'll be putting a lot of what's happening on there. And um, likewise, you know, if you're not following I Dave Williams, um, on Instagram or in, you know, on Facebook, uh, if you're not following him yet, now's the time. Um, again, if you're interested, um, all you have to do is head over to idavewilliams.com forward slash training. Um, you can get all the details on um, what this workshop entails. Um, it's it's going to be amazing. It's going to be super fun. And I'm sure, you know, we'll be, like I said, we'll be doing a, a live uh, broadcast from or a live stream from the Lofort Islands next week at some point. Um, and of course, we'll yeah. be putting more stuff together uh, for follow-up episodes so so yeah one of it's... one of the attendees is also going to be doing a live i think it's live if not he's recording a thing i think it's live but there's going to be other cool stuff happening as well that we'll share on our accounts as well for people that are interested absolutely so you know whatever's happening um if you're again if you if you're not a member of the camera shake podcast facebook group um, you know, make sure make sure you um, sign up to that because that's where I'm going to be posting everything that's happening at the Fortnite, uh, whether that's on the Camera Shake account or whether it's elsewhere. I'll be linking to that as well, so you know you you'd be able to get like a, a total overview. It'll be amazing. I think um, you know I know that I'm going to learn a lot because you know um, it's not every day you get an opportunity to photograph Northern Lights, for example. So mm. that's that's one of the things I'm looking forward to the most, but it'll be absolutely amazing Dave it's been a pleasure having you on the show again um, as always. per usual <laughs> as always I'm, always. I'm like I, I I hesitate calling you a guest because you're not really a guest you're like you're part of the show <laughs> it's always good to be here fantastic do you know what else do you know what else we should maybe mention what's that actually literally just popped into my head Platypod so Platypod sponsors the camera shake but we are now, how far? We're a couple of months deep into overhauling and <clears throat> repurposing the Platypod YouTube channel. And so you and I are both creating educational content for Platypod in the form of short videos, which are hard hitting photography tips on various subjects, genres, styles. So if anyone wants to check that out, we'd really appreciate it. We'd love your feedback, whether you think we're going in the right direction with the classes or if there's anything you want us to teach you in a quick way on YouTube um, about photography. We'd love to hear your ideas. Absolutely. Um, again, just you know, head over to youtube.com forward slash tripods, I believe it is. 
Um, and you'll see. I think, it's, I think it's just Platypod. Either way, search for Platypod. If you search for Platypod, um, you'll you'll come across it. Um, yeah. Like Dave mentioned, uh, you know, we've been we've been making some educational content for the Platypod YouTube channel. Um, yes, it'd be super interesting actually to get your feedback and to hear. Um, you know, just let us know. Is there anything that you want us to do? Is there anything you'd be interested in? Is there anything you, any questions you have, um, any answers you want? Um, we're more than happy to to create some more content about that. It's been super fun so far. Uh, we're doing a video each every month, so it's an ongoing series, yeah. and it'll be uh, yeah, it'll, there's much more to come. It, it, in fact, I'm literally just finishing off um, this month's video for the channels that I'll be. That'll be out towards the end of Looking the Looking forward to seeing it. In the months, yeah. So, yeah. And if people want to learn more about moose photography, I have a video on the Platypod channel about just that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's actually that's one of the things that gave me the idea because I was, I was looking at your moose footage and thinking like, oh, that'd be an interesting thing. You know, I wonder yeah. how, that, how that works. Okay, folks, that's all for today. It's been fantastic catching up with Dave again. But before we go... Let me just recommend another episode that I think you'll like. Check out episode 147 with Dave Williams, where we discuss the Viking workshop in greater detail. I'm sure you'll love it. If you enjoy our content, consider supporting us on buymeacoffee.com to help us continue creating and bringing you more exciting episodes. It really does mean the world to us, and it really does make a difference. And for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this podcast, did you know that there's a fully-fledged video version over on YouTube with plenty of examples of our guest photography in full Technicolor? All you have to do is go over to YouTube, search for Camera Tech Podcast, and you'll be able to watch all past episodes on there. And if you are on YouTube already, get in touch and leave a comment, and remember to hit the like button, ring the bell, and share with your friends. You can help us reach a greater audience all over the world. Once again, thank you for listening and watching, and I'll see you next Thursday. Bye.